here in Genesis chapter 12, as we are really introduced to Abraham, there's a lot said about him in Scripture, a lot given to us. His story is really given to us over the next several chapters. But here in Genesis chapter 12, he is introduced to us. And the way that he is introduced, I want you to think about what it is that God has asked for him out of the gate. I mean, at the very outset. He calls to Abraham and he asks them, I want you to separate yourself. Separate yourself from everything you know. Separate yourself from things and people that you know. Separate yourself from what is comfortable. Separate yourself from what is easy. Separate yourself from what you are used to. Separate yourself from where you have always been. Separate yourself from there and then go to somewhere else on your own that I will show you. Well, we understand that story because we've talked about it. We talked about it even last month when John talked about that call specifically by God to Abraham. And how difficult that would have been and how challenging that would have been. But yet, we see Abraham doing that. I want us just for a second to recognize that in essence, God has done the exact same thing for each and every one of us. He's called us to separate ourselves from the easy, to separate ourselves from the comfortable, to separate ourselves from where everyone else is, to separate ourselves and to go to a place that he will show us the way. And like Abraham... We have to be willing to accept what God has said by faith. Now, we just read from Genesis chapter 12. We're most certainly going to spend a lot of time there uh, this morning. But I do want us to remember in Hebrews chapter 11, the, the attitude with which Abraham is working with. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to the place that he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And so the Hebrew writer wants us to understand that the way, the reason that Abraham was able to separate himself as God called to him, was his faith. Now, when we think about Genesis chapter 12 and Hebrews chapter 11, and the faith that Abraham is exhibiting is an understanding that when it comes to faith, and this is an important point for all of us, when it comes to our faith, is to understand that our faith is not based upon a feeling that we have. Now, there's emotion involved for sure, but faith, biblical faith, is not based upon a feeling. Biblical faith is based simply upon God's word. So the New Testament teaches in a pretty simple kind of way. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's a pretty simple thing. The Hebrew writer lets us understand that Abraham based every decision as he walked by faith, just upon what God said. So this morning, when we talk about these promises that are made to Abraham, we'll talk about each promise, about what it was specifically, but as we're walking through this, 
This morning, I don't want you to lose sight. The punch of the lesson I'll give to you now. God's word can be trusted completely. And everything and every place that we go and do can be based upon what God has said. And so in this story that we have, these incredible promises that were made, and the impact and the significance that these promises has made, even for all of us, are enormous for sure. But this morning, let's not lose sight of the idea that God is true to his word, that God keeps his promises, and his word can be trusted. It ultimately comes down to the idea of covenant. Here in Genesis chapter 12, this is not the first promise that God has made in Scripture and most certainly won't be the last. But when we think about the idea of covenant, it really becomes an interesting word, specifically this word in Hebrew. I'm going to give you three definitions when you look up this word in the Hebrew, and each of them are really significant. When you think about this word and as it is defined in Hebrew, one of the definitions will be something like this, and as it is used, it is the idea of to eat with, the idea of covenant. And that suggests fellowship and an agreement. That's a big part of what it is when we have a covenant with God, when a promise is made. Secondly, it is to bind, which points to commitment that's made. And then thirdly, it suggests to a lot, which is suggesting sharing. And when we put all of these things together, the idea is that when God enters into a covenant, he enters into an agreement that he is committed to. He's committed to keeping what he's promised. We study this passage in Genesis chapter 12. It is in your face, the reality that God keeps his promises. When he says something, he is committed to keeping it. Abraham based his life upon that. And the application for us this morning is, can we do the same? And the promises that he has made to us, can we base our life upon those promises? When you go back to Genesis chapter 12, at the outset, as Alan read that for us, there's a couple of things that stand out. The first thing for me that stands out is that as these promises are made, God doesn't give Abraham reasons. He doesn't give Abraham even explanations surrounding these promises. There's no reasons given. There's no explanations made. They are simply words like this. I will show you a land. I will make you a nation. I will bless you. And I will bless all of the nations through your seed. It is these promises that he makes with no explanation. These promises that he makes with no reasons given. And it is upon these promises, which to Abraham, we'll talk more about here in just a moment, should have been outlandish things. Each and every one of them. He patterned his life because of them. You know, it's interesting that we make reference here to Genesis chapter 12 as these three promises are made to Abraham. As we 
journey through the book of Genesis and as generations come and generations go and Abraham is gone and Isaac comes on the picture and as Isaac is gone, Jacob comes on the picture that God will reiterate each and every one of these promises. I think that's interesting. Here's an example of that. Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26 and verse 4 He says this specifically to Isaac, I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Does that sound familiar? It's Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And if Isaac didn't communicate that well enough to Jacob. God wanted to make sure he also remembered what God had said. And so in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 14, now to the next generation, Jacob is on the scene, and God says this, and your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Does that sound familiar? It's the exact same blessings. The exact same promises made to Abraham. Reiterated. Don't forget this. God had said it. Reiterated. Don't forget this. God had said it. And that is what we are able to do. As we hold God's book, as we have opportunity to spend with one another and study And in discussion, we have those opportunities to reiterate all the promises that God has made and to remind us, God has said, God has said, God has said, God has said, and you know what? God means what he says. I think it's a powerful piece of reminder. We often make reference to Genesis chapter 12 because it's when these promises are first made but these same promises are reiterated over and over and over as we work through. So let's spend a couple of minutes on these promises. I want us to not lose sight as we talk about these promises and we'll see the fulfillment of these promises. How, as I said before, outlandish these promises would have seemed to Abraham. You know, sometimes when we read something that happens here in our Bibles, I'm very early on. There's a lot on this side. There's very little on this side. That's how your Bible is right now, open to Genesis chapter 12. And sometimes we read something on this page. We struggle with the impact of it because a lot of us, we know. We know what happens on all these pages And we know what all happens on these pages. And so we're like, well, I mean, it worked out. It worked out great for Abraham. Everything that God said, he should have known that. Everything that God said happened exactly the way that it should have said. But yet I want us not to lose sight of how wild these promises would have been to Abraham. But he just grabs them. He just grabs them. No reason, no explanation. And so, for instance, in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 2, he he says, "I, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. 
Now, we make the point, and I think it's right to be made, his age is given here in this text that Alan read for us at 75 years old, and as God promises to him, I'm going to make you a great nation. As he reiterates his promises to Isaac and to Jacob, he, he adds the pictures of the stars of the sky, the sand of the sea. He, he is adding these pictures, these thoughts, that your descendants will be many and it will multiply and there will be so innumerable it will be difficult to even count or number. And so God is telling Abraham this and he's sitting here listening to God at 75 years old and he has zilcho descendants. And yet God, he's got to hold on. Now listen, I understand and we're ourselves going to do it. We don't have to turn very far. And we're like, well, of course, we can read Exodus and Deuteronomy, and there are lots of people in his family. Yes, we know that now, but put yourself in the shoes of Abraham. He's listening to God, and God is telling him, listen, your descendants will be so many, it will be difficult to even count them. And Abraham is 75 years old without one descendant. And yet he grabs hold of that. How tightly does he grab hold of that? Well, we know even when Isaac comes along, he's constantly thinking about this promise that has been made. Constantly thinking about it. Even when God tests him and asks him to sacrifice his son Isaac, The Hebrew writer gives indication to us that even in that moment, Abraham is thinking about God's promises and that if I am to kill this boy because of the promise that's been made, God has the power to raise him up again. It is that sureness of what the key becomes. And and so we can go through this text. In Genesis chapter 22 in that same context that we had just made mention of. After the birth of Isaac, Abraham is tested by God. And in the midst of this conversation, and Isaac being spared by God, and God presenting another sacrifice, this is reiterated to him. He says in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 17, With blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Now again, incredible use of language by God. At that time, Isaac was there, one. And it's so sure, this message. Generations later, in the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, as Moses is standing before the people, about to enter the land of Canaan, generations after Genesis chapter 12. Deuteronomy almost begins with this phrase. And listen to it. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, 
beginning in verse 9. He, he says, I, I spoke to you at that time, saying, I alone am not able to bear you. Verse 10, the Lord your God has multiplied you, as he's talking to the people. And here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude. Does that phrase sound familiar to you? It does to me. As Moses is standing before Abraham's descendants. And here they are, as the stars of heaven in number. Now keep that incredible promise in your head. We're going to come back to it. Secondly, he goes in Genesis chapter 12, and there is a land that is promised to him, and a land for that family. Here in Genesis chapter 12, as the story continues for Abraham, listen to the description of the land that God is going to promise to him and separated himself from Lot after a decision that's made. God reiterates that promise in this next chapter. In Genesis chapter 13 and verse 14, he says, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look. From the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land that you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And so he reiterates that. Even in a couple of chapters later, in Genesis chapter 15, God gets even more specific about it. In Genesis chapter 15, beginning of verse 18, it says that on the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. He, he gives them boundaries even. And he says, to your descendants, remember at this time, which are zero, this land will be given to them. And then after the book of Deuteronomy, after his descendants are innumerable, that promise is fulfilled. Listen to the phraseology that's used in the book of Joshua. As Abraham's descendants go into the land of promise, listen to the words that are used. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 6. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. It's about to happen. And in the very end of this book, in Joshua chapter 21, towards the very end of this, listen to what's said now. In Joshua chapter 21 and verse 43, so the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he has sworn to give their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. And the Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. And so again, you have this phrasing where the promise that God makes is exactly what takes place. Now hold on to that. Let's cover this third one, and we'll come back and talk about all of them together. This last one, in Genesis chapter 3, or 12, in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, 
I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We read already in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 17 where the promise there is reiterated about his descendants multiplying. Maybe you took note in the very next verse in verse 18, this promise is also reiterated where he says, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so this promise is reiterated. And most certainly, as we get to the pages of the New Testament, this incredible promise made to Abraham that through his descendants, through his seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we know that to be Jesus. Jesus coming through the seed of Abraham, coming into the world and blessing all man. In Acts chapter 3, as Peter is delivering uh, what we commonly refer to as his second sermon, I don't know what else we want to call it, but... Acts chapter 2, uh, we have a sermon on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 3, Peter, is, he's at it again, and he's, he, he's preaching uh, again, and he talks specifically about this promise. And he says in Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 25, he says, You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first... God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. And so Peter is making the point that this promise, this specific promise that was made to Abraham was Jesus. And he has come and he has blessed even you, he says. And we see these three promises made. We've heard them before. We reference them even in one-word terms, right? Land, nation, seed. We throw them out, and we know them. And Genesis chapter 12 is an extremely important chapter in the Old Testament. You need to know what Genesis chapter 12 is all about. You need to know that these promises are found in Genesis chapter 12. It's not a terrible idea to know that they're reiterated in other places that we've talked about, even to further down Abraham's line, such as in 2 Samuel chapter 7 to David. Those are important things to have in your mind and important points to have and most certainly surrounding Jesus and the importance of him coming and blessing. But let's not lose sight for us today. The punch of the reality that here in this place and in every other place that God speaks, that word can be trusted. It ultimately is the key for us in this life. Trusting in what God said is the key to our living. I want to give you two other passages and then we'll close. You know, the reality is that God can be trusted completely. There's an interesting phrase in Numbers, and we're going to spend the rest of our time in Hebrews chapter 6. But there's a really interesting phrase in Numbers that I I like. And I want to bring it up and just uh, to read it, and uh, you can make a note of it. Certainly if you take notes, this is a good one to kind of have. It's just an interesting phrase. And so you have in in Numbers chapter 23, this is said about God and and what he is and, and what he's all about and something that we've got to remember and keep in our mind. 
And this is said about God. Numbers 23 and verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He speaks the truth. He doesn't make mistakes. Repentance is needed when a mistake is made. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't speak untruths. He only speaks the truth. And so the question is, has he said and will he not do? Well, the answer is that is no. Everything that he has said, he has done. And the end of that verse, or has he spoken and will he not make it good? You see, those are two questions that we've got to be asking ourselves. Is there anything, anything that God has said that hasn't happened? Is there anything? Is there one example? One example. There isn't. Is there anything that he has said he was going to do that he hasn't do? Has he said anything where he hasn't made that thing good? He can be trusted. So a a litany of promises that he has said for us. Promises about comfort and peace. Promises about protection. Promises about guidance. Promises about safety. Promises about wisdom. Promises in prayer. The promises that God has made. Eternal promises that God has made. God can be completely trusted. And that idea is the key for us in this life. Let's close with this. The Hebrew writer was saying Hebrews chapter 6 and make this point. And interestingly enough, he'll use something that for our lesson this morning will sound pretty familiar. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, you see the Hebrew writer is uh, with us this morning. When God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so... After he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Now listen to verse 18. That by two immutable or unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie. So that truth, what difference will that make for us? We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, I want you to think about what the Hebrew writer is saying as we close. He says there is 
a promise that has been made. A promise of eternal salvation for those who have a relationship with God. That's out there, a promise that has been made. How sure can I be of that promise? How sure can I be? He says, you can be as sure as possible because it is based upon what God has said and reminds all of us, God cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. Impossible for him not to speak the truth. Impossible for him to do that. And he has confirmed it by himself because there is no one greater. And so when we are living the life that we live and we are making decisions in the life that we live, what are we basing that on? I'm basing that on what God has promised. What God has promised. When we study Abraham and the promises that are made, powerful promises, significant things that are said, significant events that take place in the Old Testament based off of those promises, significant things with Jesus in the New Testament and for all of us, absolutely. But don't lose sight of the punch of that promise and all others. It's to remind each and every one of us that God does not misspeak. He doesn't misspeak. When he says it, it will happen. And we can be assured of that. He doesn't miss. He doesn't lie. He doesn't deceive. He just speaks truth. And so sure is that, I can base my everything upon. It's a powerful lesson for us. And as Cale is going to lead us in this song of invitation, it gives us you know, something to consider. Because he has said some things about eternal destinations. The eternal destinations that we have, all man will spend eternity somewhere. In heaven, and there's been promises made about that. Or in hell. And God has said some things about that. It's going to be one of those two places because that's what God said. And now it's just a decision that we have to make. And as we sing the song of invitation, maybe it gives us an opportunity to be thinking about those things. And it may be as you're considering that, there's changes that need to take place. Well, another promise that God has made is that Christ will return again. And this life and all opportunities in this life will be over. And something else he said about that, no one knows when that will be but him. No one knows. No one knows but him. So it makes every opportunity that we have the most important opportunity that there's been. And maybe we can help you in some way this morning. If we can, you let us know as we stand and sing.